Hello, and welcome to the Rockefeller Center's podcast, Rocky Talk. My name is Ben Fogley, and I'm a 22 at Dartmouth. Today, I'm joined by Daniel Benjamin, the director of Dartmouth's John Sloan Dickey Center for International Understanding. Prior to joining the Dickey Center, Benjamin served as ambassador-at-large and coordinator for counterterrorism at the U.S. State Department, as a senior fellow in foreign policy studies and director of the Center on the United States and Europe at the Brookings Institution, and as Germany bureau chief for the Wall Street Journal, among other roles. He will be leaving Dartmouth later this month to serve as president of the American Academy in Berlin. Ambassador Benjamin, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So to start, the coronavirus has been a shock to the international system. Much of the global economy has been ravaged by the lockdowns put in place to contain the virus, and our path towards recovery appears uncertain. With that in mind, what impact will the coronavirus have on globalization? So I, I think the the uh, the headline here is that the impact on globalization uh, is uh, potentially variable, and it will depend in large measure on what uh, governments, uh, what societies uh, push for. So mm-hmm. um, there's no question that we are entering a different era when it comes to travel. I don't think we're going to see people traveling as much as uh, they used to because uh, we have technological workarounds such as Zoom and other uh, systems that will help in that regard. There is going to be some reshuffling when it comes to trade and investment. And I think that a lot of um, firms are going to reexamine the uh, the the practice of just in time production mm-hmm. because uh, their their supply chains have been shown to be somewhat fragile and that's uh, obviously going to cause uh, companies to uh, reassess. Um, the big question uh, to my mind is what does uh, the U.S. Uh, and what do really the Western relations with uh, Western nations' relations with China look like, because ultimately, yeah. that is the big uh, going to be the big determinant uh, in terms of the future of globalization. So uh, China is not exactly the uh, low production uh, heaven that it it once was, low cost production heaven <laughs> that it once was. Um, but you know, a huge amount of the world's manufacturing does go on there, and uh, a large percentage of the world's consumers are there. So um, the ability of uh, the United States uh, and other uh, countries to uh, resolve the outstanding issues with China uh, in a non-confrontational way, I think, is going to be critical to the future of globalization. Uh, it is, uh, I think, uh, interestingly, although we think of globalization as a as an economic phenomenon, I think that this is going to involve some serious political decision making. Uh, you know, on that note, um, do you expect to see a shift away from these extremely complicated global supply chains in general, or just a shift away from the very China centric supply chains that we currently have? Uh, something in between. Um, I think that um, the fact that 
uh, whole countries can be shut down at a moment's notice because of a virus is something mm-hmm. that um, uh, managers are not going to forget quickly. And uh, I think one thing that they're going to try to do, and I'm, I'm by no means uh, a business guru, but I think they're going to try to diversify uh, their supply chains uh, to the extent yeah. possible. And, um, uh, I, you know, there may be some interest in re- relocating production to uh, areas that have transparent, more predictable governance. But, um, you know, there's, uh, there's an awful lot to be uh, figured out. And uh, uh, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some time. Yeah, certainly. It's going to be interesting to observe where this goes over the coming months and years. Um, So to pivot a bit, I I think it would be safe to say that with the coronavirus and more recently the nationwide protests surrounding the tragic death of George Floyd at the hands of the police, the international credibility of the United States is probably at one of its lowest points in modern history. Um. And it would be great if you could speak on that. But more, more specifically, I'm, I'm sure that many authoritarian countries are rubbing their hands with glee at this moment of American chaos. And it, it seems that China's already benefited from this window by asserting control over Hong Kong. Um, so how do you see authoritarian countries further taking advantage of the international turmoil that has been caused by the coronavirus and the domestic turmoil that is, you know, very clearly present in the United States right now? There's certainly been a pattern of uh, autocrats uh, using a a moment when um, the international community is uh, otherwise engaged or distracted by COVID-19 to enhance their own powers. This is not a new phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, countries have been doing this uh, for a long, long time, as long as there's been anything that you could uh, refer to as uh, international public opinion. Um, and, uh, you know, as I think you rightly said, this is a moment when uh, America's luster has certainly been uh, dulled in the international community by the uh, poor response to COVID-19 um, you know, we have such a disproportionate number of the global fatalities and of the uh, cases of infection yeah. and um, and also by the uh, domestic um, tensions and the disarray uh, having to do with uh, this terrible death in, in uh, Minneapolis. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the U.S. has had... Um, Moments uh, before when uh, it wasn't, uh, you know, very highly regarded in the international community. Vietnam was uh, a long and very difficult period. Um, And we also certainly suffered a lot of uh, setbacks in terms of the court of uh, public opinion during the uh, long and difficult battle over civil rights. Um, I have a, a lot of confidence that we can uh, again be a country with uh, that is you know respected in the international community and that is that has uh, really the uh, shall we say the catbird seat when it comes to soft power, but yeah. um, we're not going to get there in the direction we're going right now, and I think that uh, we really do need to um, improve our policing. 
dramatically and improve uh, in general uh, how we deal with uh, protests uh, in our midst. Um, it's just not um, it's just not acceptable in uh, 2020 um, to be talking about using the military to restore order uh, in American yeah. cities. Yeah, in a democratic society, I really hope that we see some better days ahead. Um, and I have to say, I'm I'm encouraged that um, we saw a turnaround just today uh, in terms of the uh, the um, statements uh, from uh, the Pentagon on this issue, both from Secretary Esper and from the Joint Chiefs. Um, yeah. I think that that's a really, really important uh, event. Yeah. All right. To pivot a bit um, to our relationship with Europe, German Chancellor Angela Merkel recently rejected President Trump's invitation to the G7 summit that he wanted to have in Washington this summer. And what does this tell us about the state of U.S. ties with Europe in the age of you know both President Trump and the coronavirus? So I think it says um, more about um, the uh, uh, the unwisdom, the, the the mistake of trying to have uh, the G seven at the time uh, that the president uh, suggested, uh, because um, uh, Chancellor Merkel and uh, a number of the other G seven leaders you know, are, are not on board um, with uh, the president's effort to show everything is back to normal or to prematurely, you know, reopen uh, in a way that would be a, a poor example for their societies. Um, I do think that it is a notable event in that, uh, you know, Germany is not a country that likes saying no to the United States. Uh, by any means, um, mm-hmm. having been back and forth, having lived there and having been back and forth for the last uh, 20 plus years, you know, uh, Germany still has uh, puts a great deal of stock in the U.S.-German relationship. Um, but, um, you know, I think that uh, Chancellor Merkel is at this point still uh, the strongest uh, leader in the West, um, uh, in the sense of being most respected, and and yeah. uh, she's had a tremendous bump through COVID nineteen when her leadership was really uh, impressive in Germany, and um, uh, you know she uh, she took a hard decision there, um, but I think it's interesting how quickly others backed her up. I think it's also interesting, and perhaps more to your question about how quickly everyone rejected the president's. Suggestion of bringing uh, Vladimir Putin uh, to a to a expanded G seven meeting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you you worked as the Obama administration's coordinator for counterterrorism. Um, has the widespread instability caused by the coronavirus increased your concern about domestic and international terrorism? Uh, n- not. Well, let me put it this way. I don't think it's increased my concern about traditional jihadist terrorism, although um, ISIS seems to be uh, making good use of this uh, moment. No, uh, my biggest concern right now is um, that the domestic unrest 
uh, is an invitation to uh, uh, provocative actors who may want to uh, capitalize on the disarray uh, in the U.S. And I'm particularly worried about yeah. uh, white, you know, individual white supremacists taking matters into their own hands and thinking that they're, uh, um, you know, advancing their cause by doing something uh, really, really mistaken. So that's um, my biggest fear. And whenever you have large demonstrations like this, that is a uh, uh, a problem and, and something to be worried about. Um, yeah. And uh, in general, I think that the uh, the handling uh, of the uh, demonstrations hasn't achieved uh, exactly the kind of uh, tamping down of an escalatory spiral <laughs> that you'd, you'd like to see. So. Uh, if, if anything, yeah, it's given dissatisfied people more reason to be dissatisfied. So, you know, there is a, a natural tendency for these things to peter out over time. Uh, this has gone on for a long time. Um, and um, I think it's important not to uh, not to uh, add fuel to the uh, discontent, but rather to get down to the hard work. Uh, of resolving the problems that led to things like the uh, uh, the murder of uh, Mr. Lloyd. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so, as a final question, um, what can our next president do to repair globalization and American leadership in a post-coronavirus world? Wow, uh, uh, not a small question. Um, <laughs> yeah. So... Um, well, who am I to uh, advise the next president? Um, I, I look, um, globalization has served um, uh, many of us very, very well, and it's uh, enriched our societies a lot. I think that the um, the uh, the key thing right now is to take this extraordinary and extraordinarily difficult moment and use it as a pivot to reaffirm. Um, uh, international cooperation on the most pressing issues of the day. Uh, mm -hmm. Germany's president, uh, Frank Steinmeier, by the way, uh, wrote uh, a very compelling uh, piece on this early on in the crisis, and I think it was right on the mark. Um, these are the kinds of challenges that should be bringing us together, uh, not driving us apart. And um, I think that over the longer term, the challenge is going to be, as it has been for 30 years now, how to distribute the fruits of uh, globalization more equitably. And um, uh, the inequality problem is not going to go away uh, by itself. Um, and uh, it's going to take some um, uh, real leadership uh, and bipartisan leadership at that uh, to get us to a better place where um, uh, there are more protections for workers. There's uh, more concern for the environment, mm -hmm. and uh, there's an effort to close that inequality gap so that uh, we don't have such uh, an extraordinary um, divide uh, between the haves and the have-nots. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much to Ambassador Benjamin, and I'm wishing you the best of luck in terms of facilitating that much-needed global cooperation when you're in Berlin. So thank you very much. Yeah, we're wishing you all the best. Um, and to our listeners, thanks for tuning in. And until next time.
This podcast is a production of the Nelson A. Rockefeller Center for Public Policy and the Social Sciences. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and not of the Rockefeller Center. This episode was produced and edited by Laura Howard. We hope you will join us for our next episode, and if you want more information, you can find us at rockefeller.dartmouth.edu.